Hey, this is Sam Newell, realtor, investor, and host of the podcast, Recession Proof Real Estate Investing. If you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my buddy, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine-to-five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is a buddy of mine, Sam Newell. Uh, Sam is a residential and commercial agent in Utah and Idaho and has closed over $150 million in his nine-year career. Uh, His focus and specialty is in income-producing rental properties, and he has never made less than a 20% return on his own investments. He has a wife, Lauren, and two amazing kids, which he calls his highest priority in life, though. Uh, Building an amazing life and helping others invest is his number one priority uh, in business, and he also is the host of Recession Proof Real Estate Podcast, uh, which is definitely one you're going to want to listen to because he's got some heavy hitters over there. Uh, In this episode, we start off by talking about his Harley driving grandfather uh, who owned some trailer parks and how that really influenced and shaped him at an early age relative to his real estate adventure. Uh, He also gives some really fantastic advice about uh, there's always a price to pay regardless of what the journey is like what regardless of uh, what's going on there's always something that you have to pay something you have to put in some dues some time whatever and we get into that a little bit and towards the end of the show uh, we talk about how if anyone wants to be successful they have to be willing to be held accountable uh, relative to coaching mentoring setting goals what have you Uh, that accountability has been a huge part of his life certainly a big part of my life and he gives some really great advice on that as well. So listen up for uh, his thoughts there. Before we get into the episode, as always, I want to remind you that I would love to connect with you personally. I'd love to get you on my calendar so we can have a chat, uh, get to know you, you get to know me. I learn a little bit about what you're liking on the podcast, how I can make it better, uh, what to do more of and not less of, all of the above. Uh, So when you're down in the show notes, find my Calendly link, check it out, get on the calendar. Let's have a chat and uh, connect so we can get to know one another. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my buddy, Sam Newell. All right, Sam, welcome to the show. Appreciate you being here today. Hey, thanks for having me, Hans. You're very welcome. I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. You've got a lot of things going on in multiple states, as we just heard about in the intro. But why don't we take it back a little bit and just build a little bit of context on uh, your journey and your story? Where did it all begin for you? Yeah, you know, well, I think it began with um, my grandparents. And my grandpa, since I was a little kid, would take me 
with him whenever I visited in Portland on his Harley. We'd drive on his Harley through the hills of Portland and go visit these trailer parks that he owned. And all I knew is that he was really nice to these people and would help them fix stuff. And I thought it was his job. I didn't really know that he owned these things and that he received amazing cash flow from owning these trailer parks. And he was a, a very, very smart but non sophisticated investor. He never really knew what his cap rate was. You know, I I don't remember him ever telling my parents what kind of rate of return he got. He just knew that if he owned these mobile homes long enough, they would cash flow really well and they ended up paying him and my grandma off very well and they could travel the world because of it. So I think it started there and, and it started with my parents managing apartment complexes where we lived and, you know, getting free rent for managing those complexes. And, you know, my, my early life, we were, we were very, very poor. So I remember um, people from our church bringing over food and one Christmas specifically, they brought over food and money and the whole family was sick and we didn't have money for birth or Christmas presents. And and we lived in somebody's duplex and our landlord came over and he, he bought us some really nice gifts and we had managed his duplex as well. And I, I remember from the time I was seven or eight mowing all the lawns of his three duplexes. And so um, some very interesting tenant landlord relationships happened early on in my life. And, and I just remember my parents saying, man, that guy's rich, man, that guy makes a lot of money. And and we lived in that duplex, I think, 10 years, you know, and, and it's still there. I actually visited it the, the other day. Somebody still owns it, and, and it's been there for probably about 50 years, I think, is when it was built. So it's probably changed hands a, a few times. But I remember from a very early on just thinking, you know, why don't my parents buy this duplex? Why don't they buy a place and have someone else pay the rent? Or, you know, why are they managing it for these other people? So so I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting way to start in real estate. I think you have the opposite with my wife. Um, her grandpa was an amazing investor and and left, died in the 90s, but had already accumulated, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars in his portfolio and left the family about $50 million when he died. Um, wow. And And so I guess my whole life I've been affected by people owning real estate and I was going to Brigham Young University for construction management and just couldn't see myself making 50, 60, $70,000 a year working 12 months out of the year and in the hot and the cold on a construction side. And mm -hmm. so I decided to try flipping, which I don't regret, but I'll never do again. Man, I, I totally feel you on that. I'm, as I mentioned before we got on, I'm in the process of negotiating a flip right now in, in Oakland and it's just, man, they're, they're a headache, but you can make some good money doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an understatement. We've we've never made less than a 20% return on a flip or any type of investment here in Utah or Boise that we've that we've made and that's fantastic. And many times. Yeah, and and I think if you're a good flipper, good investor, you know, with the tax savings, many times you can get much more than a 20% return. You can get 25-30. Um and that sounds crazy, but but not if you think about holding a property for four or five years in a market like this and having it appreciate mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40, 50,000 a year. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to your story, you, you grew up in this um, very interesting real estate influenced way, but not the way that I would say most people would suggest real estate would influence your life because you guys grew up uh, in these apartments or these duplexes, managing them for reduced or no rent. But your grandfather had that, had those trailer parks. And see, you always 
were around it in some capacity, but not necessarily on the principal and the ownership side. Um, How do you feel like that creativity or that sort of upbringing influenced you versus your peers at BYU who were studying the construction management? Like what, what made you different uh, to the point that you didn't want to go do the construction out in the field and you wanted to, to actually own the deal and, and get behind the wheel of it, so to speak? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think the biggest thing I saw as a kid when we're struggling, when my dad's in grad school trying to get his PhD with three kids and my mom's, you know, working part time and trying to raise three kids, it's, it was tough. But my grandpa and grandma always had money to help us out. I remember my grandma was very um, good at explaining what she did. She was the bookkeeper for all of the Uh, mobile home parks and she would say okay Sammy well and that's what my family calls me Sammy um, you know we made this much this year from these mobile home parks and I don't remember what the amounts were but it seemed like millions of dollars and and so as a family we were very very blessed and lucky to have my grandpa and grandma who were very good investors and and it continues today I'm investing some money for my mom that my grandma just gave her from one of the properties she sold and I'm reinvesting that money into uh, one of my own properties that I'm syndicating. So, so we were very, very blessed. And so when I move on through high school and, and I did pretty well in high school, always, I don't know why, felt like I needed to go a little harder, a little, a little further and, and study harder. And, and so in college, I was not excited about working construction during the summer to pay for school. So I went out and did summer sales and um, I knocked doors selling pest control and was making forty, fifty thousand a summer, and then studying eight months a year and doing it again, selling pest control. And and like I said earlier, I just couldn't imagine working twelve months a year to make fifty or sixty thousand. And I've always been enticed in by real estate, and and so I th- thought, you know, what the heck? I'll take a break from my senior year of, of college. Um, had a couple job offers, but I wasn't too excited about them. And with that money that I was supposed to use for tuition that next fall for myself and my wife, we bought our first flip. It was 2010. So, you know, sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you're really good at what you do. I got lucky and I bought a property that had sold for 330,000 during the, you know, the peak of the market in 2007 I bought it for 170 and ended up flipping it for two, $240,000. Wow. Did all the work myself. It was, it was brutal going to school and flipping at the same time. And my realtor said, you know what, if, if you're good at summer sales and you can knock on doors all summer long, you can make, you can make money as a realtor. So I got my license and kept on flipping and held a bunch of my properties and, and just realized it was a lot more fun making commissions, helping others invest and getting out of the rat race. Amen to that. That's that's very along the lines of of what I'm doing as well. So you have just taken this really interesting route through your investing career and through your professional career that I mean you went as far as to invest tuition money, which I I can't say that I've ever heard anyone do, but <laughs> I, I love it. Ultimately, like you're sitting. I, I gotta I gotta interrupt you. I gotta talk about that really quick. Yeah. Hopefully my mother-in-law doesn't listen to this because her and my father-in-law were super mad at me for buying that crappy, disgusting dog pee house. I mean, our friends wouldn't even let us move it, help us move into it. They would carry our stuff into the garage, but it smelled so bad inside 
because we hadn't torn out the carpet yet that was still damp from dog pee. Ugh. It was nasty. And, and we actually did inherit a little bit of money from uh, Lauren's grandma. It was basically a, a pre-inheritance. She gave us some money and said, hey, go buy a nice house. So instead of buying this nice house and leveraging ourselves like Lauren's parents wanted us to, we bought this disgusting flip and I was the stupid idiot son-in-law that didn't know what the hell he was doing. And, and they couldn't believe they were, I was making their daughter live in this place. And, you know, it was interesting. And, but like the reason, part of the reason we were able to buy that was an inheritance from this master developer and multifamily owner who was Lauren's grandpa who developed and, and bought multifamily in California in the seventies, eighties and nineties. So we were very, very lucky, but it was funny because Lauren's parents were not, they were less than thrilled. They, they held their tongue pretty well. Um, and after that, I moved, I took that money and moved us into one of the worst locations in Lehigh, Utah, used to be pretty rough into a duplex and all our neighbors were druggies and they were less than thrilled about that. So anyways, I, it's kind of a funny story. Um, we inherited some money, used my sales money and family and friends were less than thrilled to see us in such a crappy place, but yeah. it sure paid off. Well, that was actually where I was going. So thank you for providing more color on that is, is as you've mentioned, you had the dog pee house and then you had sort of the druggy duplex. Like you are looking forward and seeing value where others aren't like that clearly developed at some point in you. And, and that goes back to the question of, you know, you, what made you different from some of your peers, but it sounds like you had at least some concept of I can add value to this or I see some appreciation coming or, or something like what was it in those moments that made you move into those disgusting places? You know, one of the questions you asked me before the call is what do you think about mentorship and how has that affected your journey? Um, I attribute most of my success to two things, uh, the willingness to jump off the ledge and apply blind faith but applying that blind faith through the right mentors. And, you know, I, my best friend um, had say, hey, said, hey, we need to flip houses. That was, that, that was the kind of the seed, the idea in my brain. And when I got my real estate license, I was lucky enough to be mentored by John Har. He's a broker at Mountain Land Realty in Pleasant Grove, Utah. He's worth, you know, he and his dad are worth 50, 70, 80, 90 million dollars. They've been investing since, you know, they were my age, you know, in, in their 20s. Mm -hmm. And so I was very, very lucky to have this influence and, and a mentor teaching me how to sell homes and do a good job, provide a great quality service for my clients, which is important, but also take that money and calculate cap rates, look at where the good deals are. And, and so I was just so blessed to have the right mentor to teach me what to look for. And, and then two funny stories about that duplex. So I was, I had it up on my dream board. And what's funny is I always have a dream board every year and, and I put pictures of the exact thing that I want. And for some reason I I've always ended up achieving it, maybe not right on time, but um, it's very powerful to, you know, being able to visualize success and what you want and then putting in a plan of action to achieve it. So I had this picture of a duplex and I thought, you know, that duplex would be a great deal. You know, it rents for eight fifty dollars a side. It was built in 1981. So it's post 1978 code changes. You know, it's in a decent area, I thought. Um, I didn't know there was meth heads next door at the time. And I had this, <laughs> this picture of this duplex on my wall and my, my, one of my good buddies, he's also a broker now at Harvest Real Estate in Utah. His name's Dave Warner. And 
we had been to Alaska together fly fishing and he comes in, he's like, Oh, that's a cool duplex. Are you going to buy it? And I said, yeah, I, I don't really, I'm not sure. I'm not quite ready. He said, you dumbass, go buy it. <laughs> like it. it's a great deal. Why isn't someone else bought it? I said, well, it's, you know, it has a couple of issues. He said, he said, you're being a jackass, go buy it. So I went and wrote an offer on it and I bought it. And so I wasn't ready. So the, the other side of that story was we had our stuff in storage. We were paying very low rent. I was struggling as a realtor trying to invest and be a realtor at the same time. And when we went to move into this duplex, I couldn't get our stuff out of storage. And I didn't tell my wife this. She still doesn't know. I had to borrow $100 to, I had put all of her money in the down payment down to the last hundred dollars. And so I had no money to get our stuff out of storage. I was literally at the storage place. She said, well, I'm sorry, you, you know, you, you haven't paid this month. I can't let you in to get your stuff. And so I didn't want my wife to know she had just, you know, we had a one-year-old baby and, and I had to go back to my office and figure out what to do. And my credit cards were maxed. And, and that was a really, really rough time um, really stressful. And I had this nice lady in my office. She kind of could tell I was stressed and she said, what's going on? And she wrote me a check for a hundred bucks. And I went to the storage unit, packed up my truck and moved our stuff into our duplex. And then everything was great. You know, I got a few commission checks later that month, paid all my credit cards off and was fine. But for people that want investing to be easy and stress-free and, you know, there, there's always a, a price, there's always stress, but the rewards are absolutely amazing. So if I look back on that, not having a hundred dollars in my bank account to get my stuff out of storage, that was, that was terrible. And my wife still doesn't know cause it would have freaked her out. Mm -hmm. um, but it was worth it. You know, we made another $45,000 the first year we owned that duplex and flipped it and, and flipped it into another property. So it was well worth it. Man, there, there's so much in that last couple of minutes of what you just said. One thing I really love is uh, you uh, you brought up right at the end there's always a price like mm -hmm. like there are rewards there are big rewards whether it's investing in real estate or starting your own business or whatever it is uh, asking for a raise even but there's always a price you got to pay and that goes along with some advice that I give a lot which is there's there's kind of a minimum amount of time things take like if you look at a marathon, like the world record for a marathon runner is like still two hours or someone broke two hours recently, I think. Don't yeah. quote me on that. But it still takes two hours of like intense running to run a really, really, really fast marathon. Like mm -hmm. it's not over instantaneously. And um, I think there's such a desire nowadays to get the instant gratification and have it happen today, tomorrow, yesterday, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and it sort of piggybacks on your concept of there is always a price. But if you're willing to endure that embarrassment of asking for $100 or being maxed out on your credit cards early on, which maybe isn't something you would recommend, I don't know, <laughs> but in for someone starting out, but it seems like you had faith in what you were doing and, and you figured out a way to make it happen. Going back real quick to the mentorship, you, you've clearly surrounded yourself with some great people. The guy in your office who told you to buy the duplex, you know, some of the brokers who took you under their wing. Like, you got to love a buddy that'll call you a jackass. That, that's when you know he's a good friend. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, and someone who will push you to do something they know is good for you, you know is good for you, but you're scared to do it. Um, yep. Can you give some advice to someone who may maybe is struggling to find that mentor, find that buddy in their life who will push them towards the thing that is good for them? 
Absolutely. You know, there's, there's a million education programs out there. There's a million books. There's a million gurus. Um, my, my top two mentors would be Zig Ziglar and Grant Cardone, who I've never met mm-hmm. and whose podcasts and books I consume voraciously and who've absolutely changed my life. Um, so number one, if you're driving to work and you're not listening to podcasts, um, you're, that, that's a huge mistake. I, I rarely listen to music. I'm always on, my, you know, on podcasts or listening to audiobooks. So that'd be number one by far is I consume a huge amount of, of content via audiobooks, And, you know, um, it's just, it's so important to do that. And I listen at one and a half times speed and, and maybe you don't catch everything, but I've listened to the same Zig Ziglar book or audio recording time and time and time again. The same thing with Grant Cardone, Seller Be Sold. And, and you will pick up so much information um, that will help you once you do find that in-person mentor. So absolutely start with the audiobooks. If you really want to succeed in any business, any facet of life, you have to grow as a person and you will not grow if unless you're consuming positive, uplifting, good content. So that's number one. Number two, um, leave, you got to get away from the bad influences, you know? So I was at a brokerage where I was making a crazy amount of money for a few years and, and, um, it, it was terrible. I absolutely could not stand the people I was around. Everything was about money for them. They were stabby in the back type of people and I hated it. And the day I left, I felt so much better. And so when I went to work at a new brokerage, didn't get as good of a commission split. I have to drive 30 minutes farther for a commute. But I said, who is the most positive, most influential, upbeat, honest uh, person that I can work with. And I went to work with them. Um, There's plenty of brokers, you know, that will charge me almost nothing because I'm a top producing realtor. They want me at their office, but I went, I found the broker that, that, um, or the owner of the company, he's actually the number one century 21 owner in the world, um, George Morris. And I said, I want to be around that guy. And if it takes changing a job, that's what you need to do. If it takes changing friends, which we have done, Mm-hmm. not talking, hanging around some friends, that's what you need to do. But um, it starts with consuming the right content because George Morris isn't going to choose to hang around me. If I'm a negative, uneducated loser mm-hmm. who just wants a better life, I'm actually taking action daily by listening to the right audiobooks, doing affirmations and, and putting a plan to work. Um, so I, I would say start with that and, and then find someone in your field that is a happy, positive, honest person and and just try to add value to them. You know, don't ask them how you can add value. Just try and connect them with the right people and refer people to their business. I, I leave people Google reveal, reviews all the time just to help them out. And I let them know, Hey, I, I left you a Google review or anything. Just add value to people and, and find someone that, that, you know, is, is maybe not the most financially successful, but the most positive, um, person that you can be around. And I think that's one of the most successful things or things that's made me the most successful is finding the happy, positive, honest people to hang out with. I love a lot of um, everything that you just said. And and there's certainly something to be said for that self-education and getting some momentum and getting going in the right direction. And then taking that into practice in a relationship with a mentor or just in your daily business practice 
whatever that means for you. And then identifying uh, the person that you want to jump into their slipstream, ski in their wake, if you will. Uh, because you're right, like you have to decide who the people are that you want to surround yourself with, whether it's above you, below you, or, or immediately around you, uh, to set your environment up for success. Completely agree with that. Yeah, um, get up early and, and go to the gym. Um, I, I have a very terrible neck. I had a motorcycle accident 11 years ago and have severe muscle pain every day. And about eight years ago, seven years ago, uh, my broker said, you know what, you need to at least work out in the mornings. And I, I am not a morning person. I hate getting up in the morning. I can work all night long, but don't ask me to get up early. And so I said, you know what, you're right. I'm probably missing out on some really good, a really good way to start your day. And I need to work out and stretch my neck. So I, I gave him a check for $500 because I suck at getting up early. I said, hey, cash this if I'm a minute late. We go to the same gym. So he said, okay. So for the last seven, eight years, I've been working out um, and it's a $500. I don't have to do it anymore, but um, it was $500 for years if I missed one day, no matter if I was sick, no matter if there was a blizzard, because I knew that would improve my life. I knew that $500 was, was well worth it to create a habit. And uh, within about a year, I met someone who was the owner of the top, one of the top building companies in Utah. And and I went up to him and said, hey, I think I have a great land deal. And he said, that's not a great land deal. And I said, okay, well, I don't know what is a good land deal. Can you just teach me so I don't waste your time next time? And he said, oh, yeah, sure. And that was seven years ago. We still work out together every day talking about land deals. And now I'm helping him potentially uh, build homes in Idaho. I've been one of his top outside sales agents for a couple years now. And so had I never created that accountability and just had the courage to go talk to him at the gym, you know, it, it wouldn't have happened. And so I'm very, very blessed to have another mentor, but, um, it took some severe accountability to get to the gym early and get there at five 30 every day. And it created a great opportunity. It sounds to me like what you're saying is you built a system around starting your day off at the gym and having accountability, uh, through this $500 check. And that has sort of turned into a habit for you. Yeah. And then I had another $500 check to get to the office by 7am. So I'd shower at the gym and I would practice my scripts. I sucked at real estate. I was not naturally good with people. I wasn't naturally a very popular guy. And, and I didn't know anybody in Utah. I was just, you know, going to school and none of my friends were buying homes. They were moving away because they were getting jobs out of state. So mm -hmm. um, I had another check to um, go on, you know, $500 to make sure I went on four appointments every week and I didn't slack off. And, you know, I had another check to make sure I cold called uh, 40 to 50 people every single day. So accountability has been huge for me because I'm not naturally good, but I'll, I'll work hard and I'll work even harder if, if I'm, you know, held up against the wall with, with some type of accountability, you know, with my back against the wall. So definitely created a system of, of uh, getting the gym on time and doing other things. Now the deal is with my buddy, if, uh, if I don't get to the gym in the morning, he gets to borrow my Hellcat, my car for a week. And I know he'll burn the tires off of it and absolutely destroy it. <laughs> um, but that's the accountability. If I'm late, or if I'm not there one day, then my friend Steven, who works for Edge Homes, um, he will get to drive my car and shred the tires off of it. And that'll cost about a thousand bucks to replace. So there's no way I'm missing the gym now. That's for sure. I, I love what you've done for yourself because you've figured out what your, 
what your pain points are and what is more painful to you than actually getting up and getting into the gym. I think a lot of people kind of focus on the physical pain of getting up early or, or getting out the door to the gym or whatever it is. And you found something that is more painful, which is the money in this case. And that goes to a bigger point, which I think is a theme through a lot of these interviews, which is knowing yourself, knowing your motivation and knowing what's important to you so that you can go build your systems and build your goals in your life accordingly. And that's sort of a bigger definition about what this podcast is all about is finding the freedom for yourself, defining a life that is perfect for you, whatever that means. Um, in that yeah. vein, you've got a pretty great system. You've, you know, doing your, your uh, affirmations, you're doing your gym time, you're doing your cold calls and your deals now. Um, what, what does freedom look for you going forward and in, in, in the context of your life? You know, that, that's changed. I, I grew up very poor and then my mom remarried and we were very middle class, didn't really need much, but um, still had some pain points. And I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy to, to be a pilot. And then I realized I really want to have a happy family. I served an LDS mission. So um, for the Church of Jesus Christ in Peru for two years. And that was when I was 1921. And, you know, from early on, I knew I, I didn't want to be poor. Mm -hmm. And I knew I, I wanted to have a happy family because my family growing up early on was anything but that a lot of screaming and yelling and fights. And so I, I had those two things. So I decided not to go to the air force Academy when I got back from my mission, when I was 21, I went to Brigham university because my mom applied me <laughs> mm. without me knowing and it was cheap. <laughs> it's, it's really cheap. So I moved to Utah from Boise and, and I decided, you know, I need to do whatever it takes to have a happy family because I feel like I missed out. My childhood wasn't, you know, didn't have that. And I need to be financially free. Um, so those, those have been my two driving factors. And, and I think anybody that wants to be successful has to allow themselves to be held accountable. So if you look at LeBron James, um, he has coaches, he has multiple coaches, he has trainers, athletic trainers, he has Tim Grover and other people who trained Michael Jordan telling him what to do, how to think. Um, Olympic athletes like yourself have multiple coaches, trainers, um, that's how you achieve at high levels. And if you tell your coach to, that you already know what you're doing, you're not going to be on that Olympic team very, very long. I'm assuming, I mean, I don't know rowing, but um, no, that's, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. And, and so let's look at Carmelo Anthony You know, I am a sports guy. So I love sports. Carmelo Anthony is the exact image of LeBron James, same height, same weight, same abilities. He has not allowed himself to be coached. He won't practice. You know, he's the Allen Iverson. You know, we're talking about practice here. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. Allen Iverson finished his career terribly in overseas, and he's broke, and and couldn't get an NBA contract. So, you know, there's lots of examples like that of CEOs that kind of crashed and burned, or other people crashed and burned because they won't allow themselves to be held accountable. Mm. Um, and so, in my personal life, um, we go to marriage counseling now and then, and and we hash these things out. And I, I focused really hard on allowing myself to be held accountable. That's what the accountability is to get to the gym, but in my personal life as well. So what does it for me is to have a happy family. I, I not only want to make a million dollars a year and have, you know, a uh, billion dollars under management for my syndications by the time I'm, I'm 40, but I want to have that time with my family as well. And, and there's nothing worth sacrificing that family time. So one of my motivating goals is to number one, be a good dad. And I do that through, 
counseling and talking with my wife and, and trying to improve constantly. But also we have goals to take our kids on a six month vacation in a couple years. And then once my youngest boy who's turning two is, you know, seven or eight, nine years old, whenever we think he'll actually appreciate it, uh, we're going to do a one year vacation. You know, you only get kids mm -hmm. for, for 18 years and I'm not going to buy him a lot of nice things. I'm not, you know, I'm going to teach him to work hard and, and then I'm going to spend some awesome, really fun one-on-one -on -one time with them for the next 16 to 18 years until they're out of the house. And that one year sabbatical or whatever you want to call it, traveling the world, I'm, I'm really excited for. I've had a couple friends do it and they said they wouldn't trade it for the world. They put their multi-million dollar real estate uh, businesses on hold to do that. And a number of them have done it more than once. You know, they've done it a few times and, and now their kids are grown. And they said that was the probably the best parenting uh, accomplishment they had, they had was really spending that time. And you know, if you think about it, I'll be uh, in my 40s when my kids go off to college and that'll be me and my wife. And that's young. You know, I'll have another 30, mm -hmm. 40 years to work. I can make up time for lost, make up money, you know, for that lost time for taking, taking time with my kids. But um, that's a huge, huge motivating factor for me because at this time we don't need anything. I make great money and and mm -hmm. we have investments and then there's nothing we really need. Um, but I need to invest so that I can actually do that with my kids. And maybe we don't travel the world. Maybe we just camp in Utah the whole time. I don't know. But I really want that yeah. freedom to be be close to my kids and, and maybe do service projects in third world countries, things like that. And the, the other motivating factor is just helping others become financially free like myself and, and having great investments. Gosh, like you've really brought the heat today and I, and I love all the things that you're thinking of. It's, it's clearly intentional and it's, and it's beyond dollars and cents, which is one of the big, the, the time and the location freedom is what you're talking about here. Being able to control your time the way you want, not being answering to a desk and chained to a desk, but also being able to travel, uh, having the ability to work from home or whatever that means to you. You're, you're focusing on that beyond just money and looking at the non-monetary rewards that life can offer with travel and time with your family. I think that well-rounded definition of freedom is just killer. We are getting to the end of the time, so I want to be respectful because I know you got to hop onto another client meeting here. So I am going to transition us here to our last round, which is called the Focus Five, which is the last five questions I ask every guest on every episode. I'm pretty excited to hear what you have to say. Are you ready? I'm ready. Right on. So first question, what book have you gifted most often? For sales, it's called How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Sales. It's a short read, but it's the most basic, best sales book you'll ever read. And sorry, I can't do one, but the next one is Seller Be Sold by Grant Cardone. If you can get past his arrogance mm -hmm. and his over-the-topness, one of the best books and trainings you'll ever read on sales. As far as personal, um, you know, Zig Ziglar, as goofy as he was, I, I was sad as never able to see him in person before he died. But there's one called How to Stay Motivated. And he gives goofy examples and he makes a lot of jokes, but the, the principles in his books and his teachings are some of the best that you will ever read and ever hear. And so if you can download a copy of his audio and you have to listen to it in his voice because he's Agreed. such a great presenter, but how to stay motivated by Zig Ziglar changed my wife and my marriage for the better for sure. Awesome. Uh, if you could get an hour of somebody's time past or present live or dead, who would that person be and why? 
you know, um, I don't know how many people say Jesus Christ, but that would be an obvious, but it, let's say he's off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's some presidents of our country who had a very, very clear vision of the, which way they wanted this, this country run and created. And, um, someone like, um, you know, maybe not even a president, but like Thomas Jefferson or one of the founding fathers, they, they knew what they didn't like. They didn't like tyranny. They didn't like taxation without representation. They wanted freedom to, to choose and, and have all these things. And I think that would be so cool to actually know what they envisioned for what I think is the greatest country on earth, the United States of America. And, and despite our imperfections in the U S we're still the best country. We're still the most free. We still have the least amount of racism. You would know that if you traveled the world, because the other countries are really racist mm-hmm. um, against Americans and white people as well. So, you know, I, I think that would be cool because um, despite our imperfection, I still think the U.S. is the best country in the world. And after traveling around quite a bit, I, I am, have confirmed that for myself. So I think that'd be cool to, to meet a president and, or one of the founding fathers and see how they really envisioned um, the U.S. in the future. Beautiful. You may have already answered this one, but I'm going to ask anyways, what is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? I used to think my mom was crazy when she told me sugar was bad for you because it's so freaking good. (laughs) (laughs) But um, after serving my mission for my church, you know, as most people, when they spend a lot of time in a third world country, your stomach doesn't doesn't, uh, ever stay the same after that. So I've gone almost, almost all the way off sugar, but I would say most people in America would never, ever go off of sugar. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the least controversial thing I want to say on your show. <laughs> Fair enough. I appreciate that. Um, and give us a glimpse of your morning routine, which you've already done, but how do you start your day? So uh, to really get my real estate career rolling, I'll roll back seven, seven eight, nine years because I really paid a price to to get where I'm at. And, and I don't have to do that quite as much anymore, but I would get up at five, get to the gym by 530, uh, lift really hard, stretch my neck and get to the office by 7am where I would write out scripts and presentations and learn how to be a better realtor. Uh, uh, you know, um, real estate is all about the service you provide. And then I would cold call and find new clients from 8am to noon every day. So that was the basis of my business for five, six years. And it was tough. And my income doubled and tripled and went over seven figures within seven years of doing that. So I would say I had the most strict, crazy, hard morning routine that I could imagine. And it sure paid off. Love it. Well, uh, Sam, appreciate you being on the show today. What is the best place where people can connect with you online? Uh, just Facebook, Instagram, my Instagram, Sam Newell Real Estate. Um, Facebook, just Sam Newell or Sam Newell Real Estate. Um, I'm mostly on Facebook, although my marketing guy says I have to do more Instagram. Um, and then we're buying apartment complexes all over Utah and Idaho and actually all over the nation and building them as well. So um, if you're interested, they can just shoot me an email and I'm happy to talk about investment properties and what to buy and, and what not to buy. Cause it seems like that's the information you really need nowadays is definitely what not to buy. Cause there's so many bad deals and overpriced deals right now. Agreed wholeheartedly. Well, I will post all of that down in the show notes. So if you want to connect with Sam directly, check out the show notes. Uh, he'll be linked down there and I appreciate you being on today and thank you so much for your time and all of your great information. 
Hans, thank you and keep killing it. I appreciate being on your show. And that does it for today's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I know I'm going to go back and re-listen to it and I bet you will do the same. Sam clearly is very intentional and has a lot to offer. Uh, If you want to get to know him better or connect with him directly, I've got his Facebook and his Instagram links down below. At Instagram, he's at Sam Newell Real Estate. Facebook is just Sam Newell, uh, again, down in the show notes, uh, linked there below. And while you're down in the show notes, take a look for my Calendly link. I'll have it down there so you can get on my schedule. We can have a little 15-minute chat. I can get to know you. You can get to know me a little better. And hopefully I can find out how to make this podcast even better because that's your feedback is the only way I can get that done. So would really appreciate that if you took your time, got to know me, and, and gave me some feedback. Uh, so until then, till we meet and chat in person, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, signing off. And remember, make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.